0: Um, right, yeah, so as I was saying, I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm Jonathan, I'm married to Helen, uh, we've got two little girls, um, and uh, we've lived in Hatfield, I don't know how long now, but a while, um, and I work in Hatfield as well, on the business park. Um, so, uh, from this, for this period of time, we're um, going through, and until near Christmas time, we're looking at the minor profits. Um, so, uh, the Old Testament concludes uh, with um, a whole load of books uh, that are all written uh, by uh, various prophets, um, speaking the word of God um, in their uh, time. And uh, the things that are in the Bible for us uh, are, you know, kind of the things that they wrote down uh, that were that were highlighted. Um, and uh, we've got some. Some books where an awful lot of things are written down. You've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, really big books. Um, and then the minor prophets are called that because their books are shorter. It's not because they're any less important. Um, they've still got uh, amazing, important, relevant messages for us now. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, we're, we're looking at those. It's not a section of the Bible that uh, most of us um, turn to easily. Uh, but actually, if you look at the prophets as a whole, that whole section of the Bible is about the same length as the whole of the New Testament. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, and uh, some of it can be quite hard work um, to make head or tail of. Um, a lot of it uses kind of ancient imagery and um, there's some kind of some street art in there and some... Uh, s- Kind of images that we wouldn't really understand, and idioms that we wouldn't really understand, and you need to do quite a lot of work to get it, get the meaning out of it. Uh, But I've, um, I've been, uh, has been very kind to me and given me Jonah, uh, which is written in a style which we're much more familiar with. It's a story; Uh, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a punchline, and we're (laughs) much easier uh, to get to grips with. So uh, as Dom said, Dom uh, spoke uh, two weeks ago on uh, Jonah chapters 1 and 2. So what happens in those chapters is God speaks uh, to the prophet Jonah and he tells him um, to go to the city of Nineveh, which is uh, in modern-day Iraq. Uh, And Jonah says, no thanks, don't don't like the idea of that. Uh, I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to go the opposite direction um, towards Spain and uh, then a storm blows up, uh, and the, the, all the sailors on the boat are terrified, uh, and Jonah um, fesses up and says, actually, this storm is all happening because of me, um, and it will all go away if you throw me in the sea. And they're like, no way, mate, we're not doing that. That's not, you know, that's not the way you, you behave. We're not going to throw you in the sea just because you tell us this. Um, and then he prevails on them and says, no, it really is because of me, and they say, okay, fine, we're we're all going to die anyway, so we'll we'll, we'll chuck you. Um, And he goes in, and there's instant calm, um, and the sailors are like, what? Um, And uh, Jonah um, sinks down in the sea and then gets rescued by a big fish. Uh, The fish um, uh, swallows him, and uh, he spends three days in that and then gets taken by the fish back to where he started. Uh, so that's Jonah 1 and 2. It's all quite dramatic and a bit over the top. Uh, and when we get to Jonah 3 and 4, the tone doesn't particularly change. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read it now. Jonah chapter 3. The words of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By degree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God." Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4 But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made himself a booth there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head and save him from discomfort. And he said, yes, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And Lord, the Lord said, you pity the plant for which I, you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into the being in a night, and it perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also... Much cattle. I wonder if you have ever completely misjudged somebody uh, based on their reputation, on something that you heard about them. The reason that Jonah originally says no to God about going to Nineveh. Uh, is because he's heard from somebody else about the Ninevites. Their reputation uh, precedes them. But then when he gets to Nineveh and he he meets them, he isn't prepared to change his mind. He's really quite stubborn in his thinking uh, about them. I wonder if you noticed uh, in this, in these two chapters, there are two questions uh, that God, two really key questions that God asks, with a lesson in between them. Uh, So the first uh, question um, God asks him is in chapter four, verse four: "Do you do well to be angry?" And then the chapter concludes with this dialogue between um, Jonah and God, uh, where God's final question, <laughs> which is left hanging, is kind of unresolved. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? And what happens in between these two uh, is uh, God just showing Jonah in an incredibly kind way, although it doesn't feel that way to Jonah, um, that's uh, just exposing his heart. So this whole thing about um, the, uh, the plant and the worm and the east wind, what's going on there is um, God is uh, showing Jonah what's actually... showing Jonah his heart and exposing Jonah's heart uh, to himself. As I was reading this, I was praying like... A lot of people have written a lot of stuff about Jonah. There are a lot of things that you could say about this. And I said, God, what do you want me to talk about today? And God said to me um, to look. Um, It's in uh, verse 5 of chapter 4. Halfway through says, Jonah sat down. Jonah didn't just sit down. He tried to make himself comfortable sitting down. He's comfortable trying to, he's made, a, a booth is like a tent, basically. He's trying to make um, a, a shade for himself uh, over, um, you know, so that it's, it's comfortable so that he can sit and watch this city. And I thought, okay, God, why do you want to draw my attention to this? Jonah sat down. It's quite innocuous. You're all sitting down. Florence likes to ask a question which she asks fairly regularly Where is Jesus? So Helen and I have had to think about what's the answer to this question, and there's there's one answer that comes from uh, from Kresch. There's a song that they sing, um, "God is everywhere," and there's another answer that comes from the Creed. Where is Jesus? He sat down at the right hand of the Father Almighty, and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Who sits down? It's a Sunday school answer. Who sits down? It's Jesus. <laughs> so what Jonah is doing as he's sitting overlooking this city is he's putting himself in the place of Jesus as the judge of that city. He's also asked God to kill him. I think he's doing quite well. that He carries on sitting there. And God shows him grace by not only just letting him carry on sitting there and not granting his wish, he even gives him a plant to shade him. All of this starts from Jonah... Right at the beginning, has heard about the Ninevites, and he's made up his mind, and he's stubbornly refusing to change his mind about what somebody else told him about the Ninevites. Jonah is holding on to that offence, and it's not even his offence originally; it's somebody else's, it's second-hand offence. I think Jonah's story shows us four things about second hand offence. First of all, it's self destructive and it hurts us. Jonah asks several times for God to kill him because he's you know, it's it's over dramatic because that's the way that Jonah is. But it's illustrating by exaggeration a truth about second hand offence? It's self-destructive and it hurts us. Jonah's more willing to die than admit to being wrong. Secondly, uh, it distorts our priorities. Jonah cares more about the plant than about thousands of people. Thirdly, it takes you out of action. What would God have done with Jonah if he hadn't gone up on that hillside, made his little tent, and sat down? Who knows? I mean, God shows himself to be more than capable because the whole city repents anyway. But, you know, who knows what else God could have done with Jonah if he hadn't taken himself to that place? Jonah took himself out of action by his own decision. And then fourthly and finally and I would say most seriously second hand offence sets you up as a judge in place of Jesus. This is what second hand offence and unforgiveness can do to you and the place that it will take you. Self-destruction Distorted priorities, out of action, and calling, trying to be God in place of Him. Jesus uh, mentions uh, Jonah in the context uh, of uh, discussion uh, with the Pharisees. It's mentioned in both Luke and Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, verse 1. This is in uh, the context of a discussion about the Pharisees and their hardness of heart. The Pharisees were um, religious authorities in Jesus' day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came. This is starting uh, at verse 1 here in chapter 16. They came to test him and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. It's a bit cryptic, but when we think about it in the context of what we've just read, Jesus is telling them that who he is and what he's doing should be as clear to them as looking up in the sky and saying, the weather is like this. But they're blind to it because their hearts are like Jonah's, and they're placing themselves as judges of others in the name of God. Jesus is pointing out to them that they've fallen into the same trap that Jonah did. So how do we avoid the Jonah trap of secondhand offense? defence? I've got five points uh, on this. The first point is Exercise discernment. There's a big difference between hearing somebody offering you wise counsel and them offloading offence on you. And it's easy uh, for one to appear like the other. Jonah heard, Don't go to Nineveh, the people there have done many evil things, and you won't be safe. Is that wise counsel? Or is that offloading of offence? We are in an incredibly privileged position that we can just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to hear God and exercise discernment when people are telling us stuff. Number two. Be real about the feelings. Feeling angry or upset because somebody else that has told you something that is sad or upsetting or anger-inducing is normal. It's quite legitimate. In Jonah's case, God actually agreed with him. God said, yeah, the people in Nineveh are evil. That's why I want you to go there. The Bible's really clear about what to do if it's us who was wronged wronged by someone else. That's discussed uh, in Matthew, I'll talk about that in a minute. But it's actually, I think, more common in life for us to hear about someone else to take second-hand offence, as Jonah did. What do we do with that? How do we proceed with that? Number three... Recognize unforgiveness in yourself as quickly as possible. I think God is really good at asking us challenging questions, usually through others when our heart isn't right. He doesn't want us to stay sitting down, He's always wanting us to stand up and walk with Him. He's always holding His hand out to us in some way. Having uh, friendships, relationships with other people that are strong enough to take and receive challenge and call out stubbornness in ourselves will allow us uh, to yield ourselves to God rather than isolating ourselves from him. Unforgiveness is always a block on fruitfulness. So if your spiritual life feels dry, ask yourself honestly, is there anyone I'm holding something against. And be ready and prepared for the Holy Spirit to show you. So what if God... Jonah was in a position where he went to Nineveh and did what God told him, and then the Ninevites repented. So he he had a direct sense that actually what I had originally thought, my original offence, was wrong by the facts of what happened. But he still chose not to. He still chose to stay sitting down. What if God asks you to forgive somebody (coughs) who doesn't say that they're sorry? There isn't any... Uh, repentance uh, from them. It may be because of the situation that you can't, because it's like um, a whole group of people that you're never going to meet, or um, you know, maybe it's something that is so far in the past that um, the person's no longer around. After the war, a lot of uh, British people really struggled to forgive the Germans... For what they'd done. There was a desire in that for justice that is right. But if we sit down and judge rather than giving it to God, we're doing as just as Jonah did. And we're not submitting ourselves to Him. Forgiveness can be really, really hard but it's something that you and God do together. The other person's apology will allow you to restore a relationship with them if it's, if it's possible. As, as I said, there may be situations where it's not. But forgiveness is separate from the, that relationship and whether, whether or not it's restored. Because if you don't forgive, then you carry on sitting on that hillside complaining about the fact that the sun's hot on your head. Forgiveness puts you and God in right harmony. You choose to give God something really painful that he can uh, deal with. And you're saying, I can't deal with this, and I need you to be God. And then God says, okay, and you can be you. When you do that, it allows God to define you and not your offence. Number four. uh, So we've had exercise discernment, be real about the feelings, recognise unforgiveness in yourself as quickly as possible. And the fourth one is contain it. Proverbs 17, verse 9. Whoever covers an offence seeks love but he who repeats a matter separates close friends whoever covers an offence seeks love but he who repeats a matter separates close friends if someone has done something that hurt you directly the Bible says uh, that we should raise it uh, with them and sort the matter out If that doesn't work or they won't listen, then you bring a friend. If they still won't listen, bring an elder of the church. But this proverb shows that there is a reasonable threshold for this. We're not to fight every single battle, expose every single fault that we perceive in other people. And the second part of the proverb uh, tells us that repeating a matter to others uh, sows division and expands the offence. Does this mean that we can never talk about anything that's painful until it's resolved? We all need wisdom and discernment and getting it directly without involving anyone else is practically very difficult. So if I'm angry with John, hi John, and I tell Jackie, Jackie is now likely to be quite annoyed with John. I need to have real wisdom if I do talk to somebody else about who is it wise for me to tell Jackie about the fact that I'm, I've got this problem with John. I need to consider the effect on Jackie of me telling her about what's not right between me and John. I want to be really clear here. This verse is not talking about bullying, intimidation uh, or criminal behaviour. God clearly calls us to bring evil to light. And the last thing we want to do with evil is to try and cover it up but this is about personal offence that spreads to generate cliques or tribes and it breaks up families, uh, friendship groups and churches. If I have something, uh, an offence of that nature, and I've already told Jackie, what should Jackie now do with her second-hand offence with John? That's my fifth point, is deal with it. So ideally, Jackie should come to me and challenge me that I need to talk to John and sort it out between me and him. But in real life, for all sorts of reasons, this doesn't always happen. What can we do in that situation? What should Jackie do? I come back to the point I made previously. We are in an incredibly privileged position that we can just come before God and pray and know all the power of heaven and the Holy Spirit to give us discernment and wisdom and the God who has the power to fix things. Jackie can't control whether, I, whether or not I go and sort things out with John. She can tell me in a very strong way that I really should, but she can't control whether I do that. she can ask me how things are going between me and John. And it may be that, actually, since I told her, a fair amount of time has passed, and I've, I've made up with John, and we're great mates again. But I never bothered to tell Jackie, and she's still thinking, oh, well, I'm really cross with John because what Jonathan told me. It's, it'll be, it's entirely okay for Jackie to tell me about the effect on her that me telling her about my problem with John has had on her. If I'm in this situation, I'm unwilling uh, to forgive and seek restoration. The most helpful thing for Jackie may be to uh, remove herself as far as possible uh, from this offence. And my discussion of it with her to try and protect herself, if she agrees or takes it on, um, and either lets it fester or uh, goes to John and um, gives her a piece of a piece of her mind, that would be her allowing herself uh, to sit down, just as Jonah did. Is the Holy Spirit? That brings the conviction to me in this example situation. And Jackie would have to has to just trust God that he will do that rather than trying to fix things herself, which can so easily end up being motivated uh, by your own needs. So those are some practical kind of points but through all of this story of of what's going on with Jonah I think the thing that comes through most clearly to me about God is his huge compassion for the Ninevites and his love and compassion for Jonah himself too. Another um, section, uh, a chapter in um, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus gives many warnings to uh, the Pharisees and uh, all those who would consider sitting down in judgment as Jonah did. Jesus has uh, this to say at the end of Matthew chapter 23 he's referring to a city that he would look over himself, but not with judgment, but with compassion. He says, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those, those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not It's a really memorable image. God gathering us as a hen gathers her chicks uh, together. And it illustrates the harmony that God wants us to have with Him and with each other. And that harmony is achieved through forgiveness. Forgiveness is possible because of what Jesus went on to do when he went into that, uh, that city, Jerusalem. This was the last time um, uh, he, was, he was on his journey going to Jerusalem, Matthew chapter 23. He was going there knowing that that was, where, that was the, the last time he, was gonna, he wasn't going to come out of that city again. He would die there outside the city walls. His death is the means by which we have forgiveness. It's the means by which the nations are gathered in harmony and peace with God. It's the way through which we will have peace with each other. The forgiveness that Jesus offers us through the cross is the forgiveness that we can offer to one another. We can forgive because he forgave us first. The thing about unforgiveness is it binds you up. The thing about forgiveness is it brings you freedom. And that freedom spread from that moment, from that city... It spread to us here in Hatfield. And there was one man who was really, really key in God's plan of bringing that uh, spreading of freedom. Who's called the Apostle Paul. And he had to deal with really, really intense offence. He was one of the Pharisees, people who Jesus spoke to so strongly about their offence and about their judgment. And Paul had a transformation from that offence. And one of the biggest second-hand offences that Paul was carrying was his offence with the Romans. These were people that had come into his country His capital city destroyed his dreams about what the scriptures, how the scriptures would be fulfilled. The law focused on so much on uh, the temple and on um, purity. And the Romans came in and they didn't care about any of that. The impurity and the shame that the Romans brought on the Jewish people was enormous. Everyone would have known somebody who would have directly experienced um, horrible stuff, evil, that had come from the Romans. If you were Jewish at that time, that's just how it was. The second-hand offence was huge. And God took Paul... And he took him on a journey. First of all, he showed himself to Paul. And he showed the extent of his forgiveness of Paul himself. And then he went on a journey around this empire uh, that was uh, run by these people that um, were so hated by the Jews. And where did Paul end up? He ended up in Rome, the capital city of this huge empire of the people that he was most offended with. And he wrote a letter to believers there who were sharing in that, um, sharing in that uh, life and that forgiveness and that joy and that freedom. So we've got a choice today. Could I ask the, the band to come up? we've got a choice today to be like paul to have to live in that freedom or to be like jonah and to hold on to things that we've heard and offenses that we've have been transferred to us from other people while i've been speaking I think the Holy Spirit will have been highlighting things around this room. Things that you have heard that have really hurt you, and offences with people that you have held on to as a result. I'm going to ask all of us can we all stand up? I think we, it would be good to make a prophetic declaration by standing together. that we are not like Jonah. So if you're able to, um, please, st- uh, yeah, we already have st- stood up. Um, and can you, I'm going to ask something very unusual for a preacher to ask. Can you get your phone out? If you've got a phone, if you haven't got a phone, got to get your diary out. Um, I've no idea what to do if you have an iPhone. God will help you. <laughs> if you have an Android phone, um, there is a feature in your phone in, when you call people um, that is called favourites. If God has highlighted somebody to you that you need to forgive, I want you to add that person to your favourites. Every time you phone somebody, your favourites will flash up and their name will flash up on the screen. I want you to pray for that person every single time. And it may be that it's not an individual, that it's a group of people. Like I talked about, I used an example from a long enough time ago that I hope it's not too raw for anybody about the war and the Germans. There may be something like uh, something like that. Maybe you just enter a one, two, three, four, and then the name of that people group or that whatever it is that you're, you've you're holding offence against, and it's there reminding you to pray for them. And while you're doing that, I just want to, I'm, I'm going to pray, because I want to pray protection over this church from second-hand offence. Because it's so common that somebody will tell you something, and it can be so hard to deal with, and it can be so destructive if you don't deal with it well and you don't get forgiveness, and then you don't walk in freedom. So I want to pray over us all now, and then we're going to sing. God, thank you that we are your children, that you love us so, so passionately. Lord, even when we behave like Jonah and we say really silly things, and we do really silly things and we hold really silly offences. Lord, thank you that you are a God who is our shield and our defender, who is wise when we are not, who speaks when we need to hear from you and who loves us passionately, dearly, deeply, who loves us too much to leave us in darkness of unforgiveness. So, Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that is holding on to something that they need to let go of and need to forgive. Lord, would you give them the strength to do that? And, Lord, would you guard and protect all of us when we hear things? Would you give us discernment? Would you give us wisdom? And would you teach us to walk in freedom and fruitfulness as the Apostle Paul did? May we not be a church of Jonah's. Would we be a, would we be a church full of Paul's? Thank you, God. We love you. Amen.